Welcome to Hockey Talk, ladies and gentlemen. An awful lot's going on in the world of hockey, and we have another great show lined up for you. On my left here, we have Jamie Bennett. On my right, we have Steve Fitzsimmons. Down the middle, off camera, we have Adam Oliveira working the switches. And in just a moment, on the video board, we have another great guest here via Skype. Former Toronto Maple Leaf and Ottawa Senator defenseman, Brendan Bell. Welcome to the show, Brendan. Thanks very much for having me on, guys. Yeah, thanks so much for, uh, for being here. Uh, so first thing we want to ask you about, and I will give you fair warning that uh, Steve here is the play-by-play -play guy for the Guelph Storm, <laughs> but I wanted to get your uh, thoughds. <laughs> wanted to a get little your... sensitive still, fellas. I was going to ask, how are you feeling about that OHL championship? Well, to be completely honest, um, I, I, I don't know if I should admit this, but uh, I was told um, one of, the, um, one of the, the hosts that I do the uh, Sens pre and post game show also calls games for the 67s. And uh, he warned me early in the, like kind of February or so, that, you know, this team is really good and they are what they're being built up to be. But if they run into Guelph, they may have a bit of an issue. So. Um, you know, in all honesty, I don't follow the 67s as closely as, as, as I maybe should. Um, but, uh, you know, I was aware that they were, they put the big push on and, and everybody got pretty interested after January or so when they picked up Mikey DiPietro and they were having such a great run through the Eastern Conference. Um, but when they lined up against Guelph in the finals, I thought, uh, I was told that this might not be a, a favorable matchup for the 67s. Sure enough, they win the first two games and it's thinking, okay, we're pretty good here. And then, uh. The storm uh, surged and uh, were able to take the four games in a row from the 67. So still a bit of a soft spot, but uh, I, I have to admit, I, I did kind of see it coming. Actually, I did too, Brendan, interestingly <laughs> enough. So, so. <laughs> Even um, after game two, be honest. You know what? Uh, I don't, I, you know, the way they had shown uh, resilience in the previous series, I, cer I certainly didn't think it was over, that's for sure. And, the, and, yeah. and they got a bit of a break with Michael DiPietro going down. There's no question about that. Uh, but you have yeah. to take advantage of those things as well, and, and they did. Um, yep. now, now, of course, you are a former Ottawa 67 yourself, and you're an Ottawa native. I just wanted to ask you, um, what was it like to be drafted to your hometown team and play for a team I assume that you probably grew up watching? Yeah, I mean, it was a, uh, it was a, a fantastic situation. Uh, the way that everything lined up, um, you know, I, I had a lot of options uh, at 16 years old and, you know, I, I strongly considered doing the NCAA route. Um, I, I was a good student at the time um, and, you know, thought that NCAA was a, was a very real option. And so I, I told a lot of the teams at the top of the first round that, you know, I'm really not sure if, I, if I'd be willing to report uh, if you drafted me. So um, the 67s took a chance um, toward the end of the first round and drafted me. And um, the way that it lined up and the way that they sold me on the program and, and playing for Brian Kilray and having just won a Memorial Cup, there was a ton of press and everything was positive. Um, it, it was kind of a no-brainer for me. You know, I, I, I grew up. Uh, and the house that my parents still live in is about 10 minutes from the formerly known as the Civic Center and now TD Place. Um, and so it, it really was an easy decision. Um, you know, I got to stay at my stay at my high school, uh, kept all the same group of friends. I've got three younger brothers and sisters. I got to stay at home. Uh, it was it was a pretty special, um, special four years that I got to spend here with the 67s. Now, Brandon, you kind of touched on it already, but you played for one of the most famous and, and most recognizable coaches in junior hockey in Brian Kilray. Can you take us through what your experiences were playing for him? Um, I don't know if, if we're PG or R-rated, so I'm not going to take you through all of my experience <laughs> with Brian Kilray, but um, 
You know, I learned an awful lot. I grew up an awful lot. Um, I would say that my first year and my fourth year, so my freshman and senior years, um, were fantastic. I mean, they, they really couldn't have gone better. Um, and my, my, my sophomore and junior years, I had a hard time. And, and, and Killer and I didn't always see eye to eye. Um, you know, he had some, some thoughts that I, you know, a, a strong-willed, strong-minded 17 and 18-year-old didn't always agree with. Um, but I learned a lot and I grew up a lot. And, uh, and that, that's the one thing that I will take away most from Brian Kilray in my time there is, is he turns boys into men. And it's not always easy. Um, there, there was, you know, at that time there was a winning culture and it was winning above all else. Um, and, and, you know, the, the competitiveness and the, uh, the things that I learned under Brian Kilray were able to carry me forward throughout my pro career. And uh, in your uh, fourth year with the Ottawa 67s, uh, while you were wearing the C as captain, you also got to represent Canada at the World Junior. Um, my, my son's favorite player is Marc-Andre Fleury, so I have to throw out there that uh, he was your goaltender. And you guys yeah. ran up against a pretty, uh, pretty strong Russian team in the final there. You guys uh, brought home the silver. Uh, so what was it like playing those Russians with Ovi and uh, Grigorenko and, and Trubachev? Well, that that was um, to me, you know, kind of the the highlight of my uh, maybe even overall career. Um, you know, playing my first financial game was special. Playing for the Ottawa Senators in my hometown was special. But but that time period, that kind of month or so that I spent with the with the World Junior Team was as good as it got. I mean, really, um, I think that you know it's such a big deal in Canada. Um, so much is made of it. We were fortunate enough to play in Halifax. Um, you know, so playing in a Canadian market, let alone it being in the Maritimes where, you know, you're kind of the only gig in town at that time of year. Um, it, it was an awesome experience. And, you know, I, I vividly remember a lot of things about that tournament. There are certainly some things I've forgotten, you know, now that it's geez, 17 years, 17 years ago. But, um, you know, there, there are plays in games that I remember where ah, I, I could have made a better play there. Or, you know, if we just would have got that bounce, um, you know, we had a 2-1 lead going into the third period. And I remember the dressing room um, in between periods, just thinking that, uh, you know, this doesn't feel good. Like one bounce could go the wrong way. And then the, the pressure and the tension and, um, you know, a bunch of 19 year old kids, it, there's a lot going on there. So, um, but that being said, you know, despite the fact that we lost, uh, that we were only able to, to get the silver medal, um, it was still such an awesome experience. And uh, as part of that experience too, you got to play with uh, several soon to be uh, teammates in the Leafs organization, uh, Carlo Kaliakovo, Kyle Wellwood, and Matt Stajan. Andy and White, yeah, there was, uh, there was five of us, uh, five Leafs draft picks on that team. Um, and uh, yeah, and so we had some familiarity there. You know, I mean, the Hockey Canada program is, is so well designed and so well built that, you know, I had played with some of those guys under 17, under 18. We'd done, I, I was fortunate enough to be invited to development camp as, as an 18 year old. So I spent some time with some guys there. Um, and then, you know, when we were all drafted, we're going through development camps, we're going through uh, rookie camps and training camps with the Leafs. And so there was a lot of comfort there in having, you know, four guys that I knew very, very well, um, along with a bunch of other guys that I'd played under, again, under 17, under 18 with. Um, and, and so the team, you know, it, it wasn't like you just throwing 20 kids together and go out there and be a team. There was some familiarity there. There was, you know, that, that chemistry that kind of comes with playing together was already in place for a lot of us. 
Now, Brendan, you were drafted in the third round, 65th overall by the Toronto Maple Leafs in the 2001 NHL draft. Um, looking back, kind of what was your expectations for, for the day and, and just what was the experience like of uh, being drafted by the Leafs? <laughs> to be totally honest, um, I thought it was the worst day of my life at the time. Um, you know, I, I had a great 16-year-old year. Um, there was all kinds of talk about first-round pick, and and then I just I didn't have a very good year, my 17-year-old year, and so I slipped in the draft, and I continued to slip. And so my expectation was, you know, I, I'm going to go in the, the the early part or the mid part of the second round. And, you know, they, they, the way that the draft is done and that everybody sees, and you may not see because it's behind the scenes, but they put a camera on you, you know, and they, they wait for that reaction with your family and with your, you know, for me, I've, I've got a fairly large family. I had my parents there. I had my two brothers and my sister. And so, you know, when it gets to kind of pick 30 or so, they've got the camera on me and I'm ready. You know, I, I'm, I'm ready to go up and put my jersey on and shake everybody's hand. And it just seemed like that took forever to get from, You know the, the the first round the first three rounds were on the same day that that, that year uh, at that time and um, to get from pick 30 to pick 65 seemed like an eternity uh, and, and so you know despite the fact that I was drafted in the NHL and it was the Toronto Maple Leafs an original six team all of that should have been super exciting but I I was disappointed and so um, you know that quickly turned into resolve to proving a whole bunch of people wrong and and proving the Maple proving the Maple Leafs that they got a steal here that I, I want to make something out of this because that didn't feel very good. Now, Brennan, in the early part of your professional career, you played out east for the St. John's Maple Leafs. And then you were part of the team also when they moved back to Toronto. Um, can you speak mm -hmm. to that move and, and leaving sort of a, an area that was sort of had a dearth of hockey for a while um, back to like a hockey hotbed right in the city of Toronto? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I, I played my first two years pro. Um, the second year was a was a lockout year, and so we had a bunch of guys um, that were kind of borderline NHL guys that had spent some time up top, and you know, typically um, would not be in the American League. But the American League was super strong that year, and so it was a lot of fun. And um, I was able to learn from a bunch of older guys that you might not get that experience to, to spend 82 games with, and um, so it was a real positive for me. Um, obviously we knew at a certain point that the team was going to, was going to relocate and we were going to go to Toronto. And frankly, for, for us as prospects, that was a great thing. You know, we we felt like in St. John's that, you know, you weren't going to get that one day call up that if somebody was hurt in practice, you weren't going to get that call and you might play tomorrow night, um, because it was just so far to go and so hard to get you there. Um, that, you know, if you were kind of the second or third in line on the depth chart, it's going to be tough to get your call up. So. Um, it was it was absolutely a positive thing in that we were going to Toronto, we were going to be close to the big club. But at the same time, you know, I mean, the, the city of St. John's, the people, the fans were so supportive in, in such a unique place and great place to live that there it was kind of bittersweet, um, you know, but but selfishly looking at our careers, it was a great thing that we were going to Toronto and we were going to be, you know, a kilometer and a half from the from the big club. So uh, a game that we've uh, ended up playing on our show here without any design is uh, one of our guests last year was Doug Shedden. And it oh. seems an awful lot of our guests uh, since then all have a connection there. So, of course, your time in the American League with the Leafs, uh, Doug was your coach. Yeah, Doug was, you know what, at the time, um, you know, being a young guy, Doug and I got along very, very well. Um, he, was, he was a fun guy. 
he was old school. It was hard work, and then it was bond with your teammates. And, and I mean, being out in St. John's, we spent a ton of time on the road. Like, our, our road trips were wild. And looking back on it, you know, having played in as many cities that I, as I did over the 13 years, I don't know that I could have played in St. John's unless I was a 20 or 21-year-old. Um, you know, the, the strains on family, all of that stuff, it was just so challenging. And Sheds was the right guy for that. You know, he just he brought an attitude to the rink that was, let's go out and work. Let's be a team. Let's be a group. And let's have some fun. We're, we're all out here. We're all in this together, especially the lockout year where there's nowhere to go. You're not getting called up. You know, like, let, let's just be a, a really good team and let's learn to win and compete. And he was great for young guys. Um, and, and then I was, you know, I was fortunate enough to cross paths with Sheds uh, over in Europe when he was in Switzerland. Now, I spent a couple of years over there. He was coaching in Zug and then in Lugano. Um, and, and so, you know, we, we kind of became it, it's it's different when you're a 20 and 21 year old prospect versus when you're a 28, 29, 30 year old, um, you know, coming towards the tail end of your career overseas and you've got kids and, you know, you've grown a lot. Uh, and we became pretty good friends and, and had a lot of, you know, fun conversations reminiscing about, you know, how young and naive I was at 20 and 21. And, um, you know, all the things that you think you know that you really don't. Um, and via text there, he, uh, we mentioned you were having you on and he said, yeah, great guy. I loved coaching him. And along those lines, another game we ended up playing here, we, we recorded our show in a town called Hanover, just south of Owen Sound. And this, okay. is, uh, this is the hometown of a guy, uh, Ray Edwards. And it seems yes. a lot of our guests have been coached by Ray along the way. That's another one of your former coaches. Well, that's one of the perks of playing for 19 teams in 13 years. <laughs> is you get yeah. to meet a lot of people. Um, yeah. And, you know, I, I like to say that, um, you know, the way that my career went, I, I wouldn't change a thing. Um, you know, I, I, I was certainly I'd, I'd hoped and expected that I would play more time up top. But the experiences that I had, the teammates, the coaches, all of that stuff is really invaluable to me. And and Ray and Doug, for that matter, are two guys that really made an impact on me. I had a great time. I had Ray Edwards uh, in San Antonio. He was an assistant coach under Greg Ireland with Phoenix's farm team. Um, and I was not happy to be there. I, I mean, that was, that was one year where I had signed a one-way deal with Phoenix. I had expected and hoped to be there. I'd worked hard. I'd done everything right. And I get stuck in the minors, and um, and maybe my attitude needed a little bit of a uh, little bit of uh, a push in a positive direction. And and Ray was one of those guys, and Greg Ireland for that matter. They were both really really good to me. Ray run the, ran the defense, and we spent a lot of time, you know, laughing and joking. Ray is one of the nicest, funniest, happy-go-lucky guys I've met in hockey, and and that's hard to be when you're a coach, and to still command that respect and have that presence. Uh, and Ray was one of those guys that. You know, I, I just, I got a big smile on my face. I mean, I guess you guys can see it on the video. But I get a big smile on my face anytime I talk about or think about Ray Edwards. Yeah, and he said to say hi, too, via text. So there you Good. go. <laughs> Brendan, I wondered, uh, you played 102 NHL games. Take us back to a couple things. One, uh, your first NHL game, where it was, who it was against, and what that experience was like. And also your first NHL goal. Kind of take us through both of those things. Okay, uh, both with Toronto Maple Leafs. My first NHL game was uh, against the Carolina Hurricanes at the ACC, playing for the Leafs. I had been called up on emergency recall four times previously over the last over the previous two weeks, and so thought I was getting my shot. Thought I was getting my shot, uh, and then you know at the last second someone was healthy enough to play or it, whatever happened, and so I didn't get into the lineup. And so by the fifth time, it was kind of like my parents didn't even come. 
You know, they were just, ah, we've, we've seen this act before. We'll watch it on TV. We'll see if you're in or not. <laughs> um, and I remember, you know, I, I had a great game. I played about 14 and a half minutes, and which was, you know, a pretty significant amount of time for a fifth or sixth defenseman, and especially a guy playing in his first game. Uh, Pat Quinn was coaching at the time, gave me a lot of opportunity. I had a good night. And it wasn't until about, you know, halfway through the second period during a TV timeout that I looked up and went, this is pretty awesome. You know, like I, I haven't even had the chance to look around uh, and realize where I'm at. Um, first NHL goal was a bit of a different experience. We were playing the Pittsburgh Penguins. I was with the Leafs same, uh, the next year, uh, my first full year. And uh, we were getting absolutely pounded in an afternoon game on Hockey Night in Canada. In Canada. Uh, I think we were down 7-1 in the third period. Oh, wow. And it was wow. like mop-up duty. Uh, we got a power play. Puck got rimmed around on my side, a bad clearing attempt to the weak side. And uh, I went over there, and there was some pressure coming, and so I turned around and fired a, a half slap shot back on net. Ryan Whitney was about five feet off to the other side of the net. I hit him in the shin pad, and it banked in behind Marc-Andre Fleury. <laughs> um, so not exactly you know, the story you want to tell your kids, but um, they don't draw pictures. And uh, I can tell them I went end-to-end and you know, walk, split the D and backhand shelf if I want to. I don't <laughs> think there's any video around. <laughs> So you've played in a number of different cities, and at the NHL level, you played in Toronto, Ottawa, New York, and Phoenix. Um, three of those, of course, are known as being hockey hotbeds. But where was your personal favorite place to play, either as a hometown player or on the road? Um, well, uh, I'll give you my, my favorite place to play um, was, I mean, I had a great time in Toronto. It was, um, you know, I was kind of the seventh defenseman there all year. I was up and down. I was in, or I was up all year, but I was in and out of the lineup. Um, I got the, the positive experience in Toronto where, you know, every time I was out of the lineup, it's like this kid should be playing all the time and he played a great game and we've got all these old guys that don't need to be in the lineup. Um, and so I, I, you know, I was also... 23 years old and single living in Toronto and having a pretty cool experience. So that was a blast. Um, but then, you know, I, I was traded to Phoenix. Things didn't work out the way that I'd hoped they would. Uh, and then I was able to kind of get a shot at redemption in my hometown with the Ottawa Senators. And so, uh, you know, realistically, the Senators experience was probably my, my favorite. And I had the most success there and playing in front of my, my, my friends and family every night was pretty special. Um, as for a uh, favorite place to play, um, the Bell Centre, Montreal on a Saturday night, um, playing for the Toronto Maple Leafs, and even playing for the Senators, but but specifically for the Leafs. Um, I remember having one night where I just, you know, it was one of those nights, it was a back-and-forth game. We needed offense. I was put out there a lot, played a lot of minutes, played in overtime, and just the, the energy and the atmosphere in the building. Um, you know, I've got an 8-year-old boy now who plays competitive hockey, and I, I just, I really want... You know, and we were fortunate enough to do it this year, but I want to take, you know, I want to show him that experience. And you can't replicate it as to what it's like to be on the ice, but it's just such a unique place to play and such a fun market to be in um, that, you know, I, I, I get goosebumps on the back of my neck even talking about it now. Saturday night in Montreal, there's nothing like it. Uh, when you were with Ottawa, um, you played with Chris Neal. He's another guy with some uh, lo local roots to where we are here. What the King of Flesherton. Yeah, yeah. Flesherton, yeah. Um, Nealer is, is a great guy. We've, uh, we've actually become closer after hockey uh, than when we were teammates for a year. We, but we always train together. We always spend a lot of time in the summer. Uh, you know, he made his home here in Ottawa and has got a, a great family here. Um, but, you know, was just the, the ultimate teammate, was a guy that knew his role, 
did it extremely well um, was, you know, he was a gamer. Every night he was going to come out and give you his absolute best. Um, he kept guys honest on, on practice days. He was one of those guys that he was going to show up to work every day and he was going to compete. And it was, there were some days where maybe he didn't like it, where he was a little bit too hard on you or a little bit too physical or whatever it was in practice. But it was always to try and make the team better and to make you better. Um, and, you know, I, I think that talk about a guy that made the most out of his out of his career and out of his skill set. I mean, a thousand games to play the role that, that he did is incredibly impressive. It is indeed. What's also impressive is uh, you have a uh, probably the best points per game in the history of the KHL with two points in one game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Tell us about that one game. What was oh, that about? Oh boy. I don't know. I think we have a time limit on this, so I don't know if I can share all the Russia stories. But um, <laughs> yeah, I signed over in uh, in Omsk uh, in the KHL. Um, at the time, that was where Yaramir Yager was playing. Um, we had a Finnish coach, a guy named Raimo Sumanen. Um, and I guess I came through recommendation from a couple of Finnish guys that I'd played with over the years, specifically Yarko Rutu. Um, and so I signed over in Russia. It, I, I had just gotten married. I got married on June or July 2nd, excuse me, I should know that. Um, <laughs> and I moved to Siberia on July 16th. We were expecting our first child in, in January of that year. So there was a lot of kind of balls in the air um, personally. But, you know, at that time, and it, and it may still be the case, the KHL was paying great money. And I wasn't getting offers on a one-way contract, so I went over there uh, and spent two months in training camp and went through everything. And you know, I went in with the mindset that it was uh, it was an experience. You know, eyes open, um, stay out of trouble. You know, don't do anything stupid. Play well, play hard, and collect your paycheck and, and get out of there. Um, you know, and then the Russia stuff started. They, you know, uh, it was the first game of the regular season, and they they come to me and say, you know, we we want you to take a bit of a haircut on your salary. We need to bring in some more guys, and I, I'm just, no thanks. You know, I'm I'm here for the money, so uh, I apologize, but I'm not I'm not going to do that. Oh, okay, well, um, you know, then we're not going to play it tonight, and maybe not tomorrow night, and maybe you'll reconsider. And so I sat out a couple of games at the start of the year, and. Um, and then they said, no, no, we, you know, we really like you. We want you to play. We, you know, you're, you're our top guy on, de- on defense, um, but we really think you should reconsider. And I, I didn't. I, I held steady. And so they put me, they finally said, okay, well, you're back in the lineup. Um, you're playing against the top team in the league. We're playing against UFA at the time. Salavat Yulayev UFA, I think is what they're called. And uh, they were a pretty stacked team. And I thought, oh, well, here we go. They're going to try to, you know, embarrass me and make me look bad and then cut me. But I was ready for it. And we... We won, uh, we were tied 2-2 after regulation, played 25 minutes, had two points, scored the game winner in the shootout, and uh, it was a scratch for the next three games. <laughs> and thought, okay, well, I know where this is going. And by that point, my, my, my wife was about six months pregnant uh, back in Ottawa. She had come over to Omsk, um, didn't love it, <laughs> naturally. <laughs> and uh, we had plans to have the baby at home in Ottawa anyways. And so uh, after sitting out for you know a couple of weeks, I thought, okay, well... You know, I'd line something up in Switzerland and, and just get me out of here, pay me what you owe me, and I'll leave. Uh, so I did. And, you know, despite that fact that I, I didn't get, you know, my contract, it wasn't honored, I didn't get the money that I was that I was promised, uh, it was still a pretty cool experience. You know, I, I think that, um, you know, I, I met a lot of cool people. I, I, I lived in Siberia for three months, um, and there was some, some really cool stuff that came out of it, but... Uh, it uh, it didn't go the way it was supposed to. Let's say that. Now, you made reference to being like uh, 
a seventh defenseman being in and out of the lineup with the Toronto Maple Leafs in your first couple of years as a pro. Um, what would you give uh, as, a, as advice to a player like a Justin Hall, who I also think should be playing more than he does when the Leafs are active, mm -hmm. um, to sort of um, encourage that player that's in a similar situation today? Um, I, I think that I, that I, I, I got it at the time, but I didn't realize um, the opportunity that's there. And, and so what I would say is the same thing that I, that I say when I, when I talk to some of the Sens guys at development camps or when I have the opportunity to talk to young players is embrace that. You know, you, you're so close. You're not there yet. Don't, don't get comfortable. Don't feel like, you know, I'm a seventh defenseman. I'm on the roster every night. I'm, I'm in the NHL. Don't be satisfied with that. Look at every day when you go to the rink as a competition. And, and those six guys that are ahead of you are competition. And that doesn't mean, you know, you treat them differently or they're not your teammates or you don't respect them or anything like that. But look at them and what they're doing and challenge yourself to be better than them every day. And, and don't give the coach an opportunity to, you know, be so good that you've got to be so good that after practice, the coaches look at you and go, man, Cole was really good again today. We, like, we got to find a spot for this guy. Or management or whatever it is. You just play so hard, you work so hard, you compete so hard that they don't have an opportunity to take you out of the lineup again. What was it like having uh, Wayne Gretzky and Alf Samuelson as coaches in Arizona? <laughs> it was uh, it was different. I mean, I, I was I was pumped when I got traded to Phoenix. I thought this is a great opportunity for me. Um, you know, obviously playing for Wayne Gretzky, that's going to be pretty cool being around him every day. And um, we were so bad. <laughs> it didn't even matter you know like i think we went two and 17 to finish the season after the trade deadline they were in fire sale mode and um it was it was more i was a warm body you know i wasn't a young prospect that they had picked from some other team it was just get us somebody who can play through these next 19 games and get us through the end of the season and then we'll reassess at the end of the year so um it was a bit different experience than i had anticipated but uh you know still pretty cool to, to have been around Wayne Gretzky that much and to have been in a, a situation where, you know, you're having one-on-one -on -one personal conversations with the greatest hockey player to ever lace them up. Yeah, very interesting. And then uh, you, you were obviously in the Swiss League in 2011-12, but then you came back to, uh, to North America and played one game with the New York Rangers. Take us through how that came about. Well, that was the same season that I started in Russia. Um, I left Russia, uh, came home, spent a week at home. Uh, again, I mentioned my wife was was fairly far along in her in her first pregnancy, and so I had an opportunity to go to Switzerland and uh, and thought that you know this is a pretty this might be a pretty cool place to to finish playing you know the next eight to ten years. Uh, good league, great play, you know, great lifestyle, um, you know, my style of play, and so I went over there and um and you know it was a cool experience and and our, our first uh, our first child was born uh when i was playing over there they came over a week after uh we lived in switzerland we traveled around the country on off days and and saw some pretty cool stuff but i was just left with the the feeling that you know this is this is easy and um playing over here i don't know that i would be satisfied without really giving it one more shot and so at the end of the year, I, I turned down a couple of contracts in Switzerland, and I thought, you know, I'm, I'm only 28 years old. Uh, I've got to take another kick at the can here. And so um, I looked around the league, and I, I, I talked to my agent at the time and said, 
you know, I, I think that New York's an opportunity here, and I, I don't really care what the contract is. You know, it's going to be a two-way deal, and whatever the money is they offer me down below, I'll take it because I think I can make that team. And so, um, you know, John Tortorella was the coach, and I, I certainly wouldn't um, pigeonhole myself as his kind of player. But um, in, in talking to the guys that had played for Torts before, they just said, you know, if, if you work as hard as you work, he'll respect you. And, you know, despite the fact that you're not a gritty, grinding, you know, you know, shot blocking player, he, you know, he'll recognize the work effort. And so I did that. I worked as hard as I've ever worked in an offseason. I went to camp. I was fantastic. I did really, really well in the, in the fitness stuff. Um, and so that, you know, kind of um, everybody took notice of that. And then I had a bunch of good games in the preseason. And they kept me on the roster to start the year. Um, they sent me down uh, after the trip to Europe, and so I was in Hartford. And then they called me back up on the on the Western Road swing, and I was able to get into a game. But learned a lot um, about myself, um, and you know, just kind of setting goals and, and attaining them, and that. But more than anything, uh, you know, despite the fact it was a short short experience with with John Tortorella and with with the Rangers, um, learned a lot from him too. You know, he was just such a such a good communicator. Um, honest, you know, and, and really that that's the one thing that comes to mind is honest, brutally honest. Like he would go up and down the side of somebody if they had a bad day and then he would come in tomorrow and it was like it never happened and you had a good day and he would be the first guy to praise you for it and just say that's that's what we expect. That's who you are. That's what we need. Um, and it was whether it was me, you know, a guy that was going to be back in the minors in a week or whether it was Brad Richards and Marion Gabrick at the time, he didn't... Uh, he didn't care, you know, like he was going to go after you. If he didn't think that you were bringing it every day, he was going to challenge you. Who had the biggest impact on your career um, at the professional level, um, whether it be in Europe, the AHL, or the NHL? Um, well, I mean, first and foremost, it's got to be my dad. But, I mean, that's not the answer you're looking for. So, um, <laughs> Paul Maurice, for me. Um, you know, I had Paul, Paul Maurice when we moved from St. John's to Toronto and became the Marlies. Uh, Paul Maurice was a coach for that for that first year, and then going forward, he took the he took the Maple Leafs coaching job the next year, and that was the year that I kind of moved up and became a, a full time NHL player for for that season, anyways. Um, and he was the first guy that I really had that spent time breaking things down for me. That you know, it wasn't about um, it. It was just habits more than anything on ice habits of you know when a puck gets dumped all the way down the ice, what's the first thing you do? Well, I check my shoulder and see who's coming. No, you bear down, you skate as hard as you can, and you get that puck because that buys you an extra quarter of a second or whatever it is to be able to make a better play. I, I never had somebody spend that much time on details with me and communicate it so effectively. And so he was also the guy that at the end of the season just said, you know what, there's a perception of you that you're going to have to change and you're the only one that control, can control that. And so when you come to camp next year, Blow them away at fitness testing. You do that. You've got all the on-ice stuff. You can do all that. But just and, – and he was brutally – you know, I mean, not brutally. He was he was just so honest and, and real that it really helped my career. Now, you were a guy that in your final year of junior, you were a first-team CHL All-Star. Uh, you were the OHL Best Defenseman, the Max Kaminsky Award winner. And you were the CHL Best Defenseman. And through all your years – who would you estimate was the most skilled defensive partner you ever had? Oh, very good question. I don't know if I've ever been asked that. Um, 
Well, I would say that uh, I mean I, I spent some time with Thomas Caberlet when he was in uh, when he was in Toronto and he was kind of at the at the peak of his career and I, I just I always marveled at his patience and his just you know ability to um, whether it was just make a play under pressure and make the right play time after time after time um, you know I, in New York I was I was there for a very short time but uh, Ryan McDonough was another guy and he was very young at the time. But his skating ability and just the way that he would get himself out of trouble um, and, and just be so calm with the puck all the time, um, those were two guys that I played with that I, that I thought were, were really, really impressive. And, you know, despite the fact that they were all-stars and first defensemen and, and all of this stuff, um, were still really underrated in my books. Now, Brendan, you, you ended your, your career in Bolzano, Italy, or in the Australi- Austrian League. Um, a lot of people that I know that have played there have they really enjoyed the experience and they they had a lot of great things to say about it. I just wondered how how that was for you. Yeah, uh, Bolzano was 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 a lot of fun. Um, I mean, it was it was a great place to live. Uh, Northern Italy, right on the Austrian border. Um, you're in the the Dolomite Mountains, but it's you know vineyards and apple orchards as far as the eye can see. Uh, it was a beautiful beautiful place to live. Um, and the Austrian league was fun, you know, like it was, uh, it was fast paced. It was high scoring. Um, but, uh, you know, for me, I was, I was coming to the end and I knew that, and it was just a, uh, an opportunity to play for a couple more months, you know, kind of get it out of my system. I had, uh, I had three kids at home, my wife and kids stayed behind. So, you know, my, my heart wasn't necessarily there. Um, but, uh, but it was, it was a great experience, met a lot of really good people, had great teammates. We went on a bit of a run. Um, unfortunately, I, w- I was brought in towards the end of the season. They had a they had a really strange or strange to me uh, playout system, where you played 12 games that kind of determine you play a, f- a 40 game regular season and you play 12 games to get into this kind of slotted system for the playoffs. And so I joined them for those 12 games, and we made a push. We we got to where they wanted to be in the playoffs, and the first game of playoffs I blew my knee up, and so it was kind of like nah, well. That was a lot of fun, but uh, I'm done now. And, uh, you know, I, I'd, I'd like to go home and I'd like to be with my family and I'd like to, you know, kind of start the next chapter. Brennan, one thing that I always am very intrigued by uh, whenever I read interviews with current or former players is when they ask them if they hadn't played hockey, what they would have done. What's your answer to what career you would have had if you weren't a hockey player? Well, I like to make myself feel good and say that I would have gone on to med school or, or gone and become a doctor or something like that. But um, I honestly, I think I'd probably be doing what I'm doing now. Um, I've uh, I've got a financial planning business here in Ottawa. Um, I've got a couple of entrepreneurial things on the side where um, I've got a, a couple of gyms. And so I'm super content in what I'm doing now. And, uh, you know, I think that... Uh, Everything kind of happens for a reason. My, my hockey career and my experiences in my hockey career have led me to the point that I'm at now. Um, I, I'm fortunate with um, some of the relationships and some of the people that I've met along the way that I've been able to translate that into some success after hockey. But um, the, uh, the short answer is I'd like to say that I would have been a, a doctor. Um, I don't know if I could have gone through the school and I would have been able to have the commitment and put in the time to do that. But uh, that would have been pretty cool too. So yes, yeah, so you have a couple gyms there, uh, Fitness Lab, I believe they're called. Yes, sir. Yeah, we've got uh, myself and my uh, my cousin uh, is the operator, and we're partners in it, and he's done a fantastic job. Uh, we've got a couple of couple of gyms in the south end of the city, and 
it's expanding rapidly. We do some athlete stuff. We do uh, most of our most of our clientele is is just your average Joe coming in looking for a workout, looking to get fit. And uh, it's been great because the first place we opened up was about four minutes from home, so I don't have an excuse um, <laughs> to uh, to allow myself to get too 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 far out of shape. And of course, uh, the third thing you have on your plate there, uh, work-wise, is uh, you've been doing some uh, analysis uh, on Senators broadcasts for TSN 1200. Uh, are you continuing that into next season? I think so. Uh, we haven't had that conversation yet, but I but I do enjoy it. I, I really like doing the uh, the pregame show and the postgame show. Um, you know, it keeps me involved in the game. It keeps me watching, uh, which I which I do enjoy a lot more now than I did when I played. Um, and you know, it, it's a fun way to be a part of things still. And so, uh, I have enjoyed it. It's just that, uh, the, uh, the more things I get on the go, the busier life gets. And, and realistically, um, I think at some point I'm either going to have to, uh, to leap right in or, or just get out of the pool. Brendan, of course, the Ottawa Senators uh, made some trades towards the uh, the trade deadline uh, to get some futures and 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 uh, draft choices and whatnot. Um, when you look at their prospect pool and some of the young players on that team, um, is can this be something where they they retool fairly quickly and and these young players uh, mature quickly and get the Senators maybe back to the playoffs in a couple of years? Um, I, I hope so. I, I think that they've got the right um, the right kind of mix of, of players. Um, you know, uh, Brady Kachuk was a bit of a revelation this year. I don't think things have, could have gone better for the Senators with their with the fourth overall pick last year. Um, Thomas Shabbat is to me a superstar in the making, um, and they've got a bunch of young guys that that I think will fit in nicely. Um, you know, Colin White's a pretty good player uh, for depth. Christian Willan I, I really really like as well. Um, but there's there's still a lot of questions here in Ottawa. You know, I think they've got they've amassed a bunch of draft picks. Um, you know, we've seen in the NHL uh, of today, you can get pretty good pretty quickly. Um, you know, so I think the Sens have a have a bit of a challenge in front of them for the next year or two. But um, you know, I would say that they're doing things the right way. So uh, reason to be optimistic. As far as the uh, the future coach that they're they're in the process of uh, narrowing down and, and hiring, do you see that? person as being somebody that's more of a teaching type of coach with with the young players on the roster i hope so um i i really don't know there's been a lot of names kind of bandied about but um you know when they when they when they let go of guy boucher um you know infamously in the press release they talked about a leader a communicator uh a couple of other you know kind of um key points that they wanted to hire in a head coach but i think more than anything is the teacher you know you, you want somebody who's got experience with young players developing young players um specifically for the senators i think that you know teaching the defensive side of the puck um there's there's so much skill in young players now that you know if you allow that creativity to blossom you're going to be okay on the offensive side of the puck but playing defense in the nhl is is a difficult job and i don't mean just as a defenseman but as as, as a forward as well it's tough to do and so I really think they need somebody who's defensive-minded, who's a good communicator and a good teacher, and who's got some patience because there's there's going to be some some bumps here over the next year or two. And would you see, um, with Matt Duchesne and, and Ryan Dezingle being uh, unrestricted free agents, do you, would you see maybe the team circling back on one of those guys to maybe uh, try to get them back into the fold? Potentially. I mean, I think that Matt Duchesne was very, very well thought of. Um, you know, he was he was a good presence in the locker room. There was some questions about that when he was traded from Colorado, but he did nothing but good things when he was here in Ottawa. Um, he, he's also a guy that can really drive your offense. Um, you know, I, I think that 
for the most part, I don't know Matt um, personally, but I think that you know he he was uh, he enjoyed the Ottawa area, and uh, it's close to home for him. Him being up in, from Halliburton, um, and so you know that would be a possibility. I, I don't know how many times in NHL history you guys might know this, but how many times a guy gets traded at the deadline and then comes back and signs as a UFA with the same club. Um, but I, I would be more um, optimistic or hopeful on Matt Duchesne than Ryan Dezingle. I think that Dezingle, you know, was was a good uh, was a good piece. Uh, the Senators got really good value for him when they moved him on. Um, but Matt Duchesne to me is a guy that makes his teammates better. That is that is a real competitive guy. Does things the right way. Not to say Ryan Dezingle does not. But um, you know, the Sens you can always use a center, and uh, I think that Matt Duchesne would be a great piece if they were able to bring him back. So I'm going to sort of take Steve's question and sort of elevate it. Um, the Sens are also looking for a president of hockey ops um, to work above Pierre Dorian. Um, not without necessarily saying any names, what are three characteristics you'd like to see in the person that's hired to take that position? Um, well, I think that experience would be number one. Uh, having some experience in the National Hockey League, whether and so maybe you know that leads me to saying an, an older guy. Um, someone who's been around the league, who's who's got some, um, you know, kind of some tread on the tire, that's that's still young enough and, and vigorous enough that they're going to get out in front of this. Because re- realistically, the Senators are in a tough spot right now, and there's there's a lot of questions to be answered. Um, I think that somebody that can that can deal with the with the owner and the challenges that go on there. I mean, I, I don't particularly want to uh, want to get into that, but. Um, you know that's that's a real issue. Somebody that can that can kind of be that voice between the ownership group and the media and the fan base uh, would be important. And then you know somebody who who's in it for the long haul. You know who realizes that this is going to take you know two, three, four years before things get turned around and moving in the right direction again. So Matt, uh, sorry, uh, so Braden, I think that's uh, the time we have with you. Thanks so much for uh, sitting out in your truck and uh, <laughs> sharing your insights. It's been fantastic. It's been really interesting, and uh, I know our viewers would have loved it or have loved it too. So thanks so much for talking to us. Thanks very much for having me, guys. All right, we're just gonna take a quick break, and we're gonna be back on the other side to talk some Memorial Cup and some NHL playoffs. We'll be right back on Hockey Talk. Welcome back to Hockey Talk, ladies and gentlemen. We just had a great chat with Brandon Bell, former uh, NHL defenseman. And uh, with me is Steve Fitzsimmons, Jamie Bennett, Autumn Oliveira behind the scenes there running the switches. And uh, before we get into the NHL playoffs, I just want to take a moment and a few quick notes. Uh, Some Junior B talk here. Uh, Holden Lansink uh, was named the OHA Junior B Player of the Year this year. Uh, Kid is a former Erie Otters draft pick who's had a fantastic uh, GOJHL career. Uh, 290 points in 194 uh, Junior B games is extremely impressive. And uh, he was the GOJHL MVP previously. He's uh, won a Sutherland Cup with the team last year and led them to a couple of Cherry Cups. So uh, congratulations to Holden Lansink uh, for that award. And also one of his teammates, uh, former teammates, I should say, Owen Sound Kid, Jacob Lee, who uh, is out playing or has played this past season with the Brooks Bandits. They won the Alberta uh, Provincial Junior A Championship earlier this year. 
And just this weekend, uh, in a game televised on TSN3, they uh, won the Canadian Junior A Championship uh, versus Prince George, uh, the winner from British Columbia. So uh, he's a NCAA commit to Canisius for not next season, but the season after that. So there's a couple uh, local kids doing extremely well. So congratulations to, uh, there's the Brooks Bandits on screen there. So congratulations to Jacob Lee and congratulations to Holden Lansing. You know, uh, with Jacob Lee, uh, he's, a f he's a former Guelph Storm draft choice. Uh, um, and the, uh, the, the scout that drafted him, who is now the director of scouting for the, the, the Oshawa Generals, was kind of heartbroken that uh, he couldn't get Jacob Lee to commit to the to the Guelph Storm, and at that time he was playing for the Listowel Cyclones. And of course, J uh, Jason Brooks is a former coach and GM of the Guelph Storm, and we thought there was some synergy there to ma to maybe make that happen. But uh, Jacob, uh, a, a good student, and I think he wanted to pursue that educational path. And uh, um, yeah, all the power to him, and uh, congratulations to Jacob Lee. Mm -hmm. And there he is, there with the. The National Junior A Championship there that they won on the weekend. So uh, that turns us to uh, we want to talk some NHL playoffs. Uh, St. Louis has cemented their way into the final against Boston. They have and you know the interesting thing is uh, um, when you think right now between those two teams about uh, you know depending on who wins who's the Conn Smythe Trophy winner for the playoff MVP it's really up in the air more than, there's not one guy you can sort of point to as that's being head and shoulders above the rest in the playoffs. If you look at the top uh, five players in terms of points in the playoffs, Logan Couture, 20 points, he's already out. Brad Marchand, 18. Uh, Jaden uh, Schwartz, uh, what, a, what a revelation he's been in the playoffs for the St. Louis Blues. 12 goals and 16 points in 19 games. Certainly a guy you'd have to consider in that, uh, in that li line of thinking. Schwartz, and then, is a, he's, he's a guy that in past years I've avoided in playoff pools because he's tended to fade away and disappear come playoff time. So he's definitely turned that around. Yeah, he certainly has behind only Logan Couture in terms of goals in the playoffs. And, and he scored a lot of clutch goals for the St. Louis Blues. And then uh, Burns and Carlson round out the top five. So, I mean, when you look at scoring, you've got Marchand and Schwartz left. I think, uh, Jamie, you could probably look at the goaltenders for either side as far as um, who might be a Conn Smythe uh, candidate as well. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And I mean, it's always a safe bet to pick a goaltender for the Conn Smythe. Um, obviously, we were talking off screen. Tuka Rask has some spectacular stats in this year's Stanley Cup playoffs. Uh, Jordan Bennington, not as much so, but when you consider he hasn't even played a full year in the NHL, still pretty impressive. And I mean, um, it sort of is, is going to tip the scales on which one of these teams ends up winning the championship. But uh, I have to think with Tuka Rask and the numbers he has, he's got a pretty good chance of winning it, even if Boston comes up short. And I think that would be the first loser to win it in, since 2003 in J.S. Jaguar. Yeah, I think you're right. And uh, yeah, when you look at his numbers, he's got a 9.42 save percentage and a 1.84 goals against average, which leads the NHL playoffs in both categories. Jordan Bennington, a 9.14 save and a 2.36 goals against. Nothing to sneeze at there either. But with Bennington, you know, he's been shelled a couple times in the playoffs. He's done really well. He's been mostly consistent, but those couple of games kind of skew his numbers a little bit. But, uh, you know, when you look at the history of the NHL playoffs, 
Um, you know, it, it's somewhat reminiscent of a situation with Ken Dryden coming in from U.S. College, um, Cornell, yeah. Cornell University, basically hadn't played in the regular season for the Montreal Canadiens, came into the playoffs and as this upstart rookie takes them all the way to the Stanley Cup. And so, you know, this could be a real st interesting story for Jordan Binnington if he, can, if he can get this job done and take them to four more wins. Mm -hmm. Patrick Waugh, too, was one that exactly. he, uh, he, he first emerged in the playoffs instead right. of the regular season because uh, I just kind of nostalgic as a young kid watching that because he was such, I don't know if you remember, you're a bit too young, but I don't know if you remember when he first came to the league, he was such an oddball because uh, he, he had the full helmet back then. A lot of right. goalies were in the helmets instead of the mask, and he had this uh, tick. And during interviews, he used to do it a lot. He okay. did that for a few years where he had a tick with his neck. And when they asked him about it, it was, he, it was because he said, ah, the foam in my helmet, it makes a good squeaky sound when I do this. <laughs> so he developed this tick during interviews where he'd be still oh, really? flipping his head. And that's back when he used to talk to his goalposts. Okay, right? yeah. He remember he goes, yes, I talk to my goalposts. They, they feel good. They swell up. They, get good. they swell up <laughs> when I talk to my He was, yeah, and the Rangers fans, they couldn't pronounce his name. They were called him Roy Yeah. Roy, Roy, uh, Roy yeah, 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 yeah. good times. Sorry, yeah. I digress. No, but, no uh, it's it's all good. Those goaltenders emerging in the playoffs. And I was gonna say about Bennington, his numbers uh, haven't been as great, but he has also made that timely sort of clutch save. He has. He needs to. He's been clutch yeah. for sure. And um, also, like, it's it's not unprecedented as you guys have said. Even since the lockout, you know, we had the first year after the lockout, Cam Ward taking over in the playoffs from Martin Gerber, leading the Carolina right. Hurricanes to the Stanley Cup. Then just a few years ago with Matt Murray taking over from Marc-Andre Fleury. Absolutely, it can happen for sure. I, one thing we should keep an eye on, and, and you know, this is going to play into who's going to win this series is, is special teams. And really, between these two teams, there's a big di difference between the two. Uh, power play in the playoffs so far, Boston first in the NHL, 34% they're clicking along on the power play. St. Louis, 19.4, which ranks ninth out of the 16 playoff teams. So kind of middle of the pack. Penalty killing, Boston, 86.3%, which is fourth in the NHL playoffs. St. Louis, a pretty tepid 78%, which is 11th. And when you think about that, St. Louis, pretty average power play, pretty tepid uh, penalty killing. The fact that they've gotten to the Stanley Cup final is, is absolutely amazing. I don't know if I'd call it amazing. Um, this is a team that sort of underachieved to begin the year. Um, and this is a team also that, in my opinion, hasn't had a certified starting goaltender since Ryan Miller. And they only had him for half a season. So you, you bring in Jordan Bennington, who's been clearly the difference maker yeah. in turning this season around. And I, so I, I don't know. I mean, like, you, you're talking about playoff stats. So right. obviously Bennington's been there. Yeah. But I'm not going to rely on that. I, I mean, I'm a Leaf fan. My, uh, I have a bias in this series. And I do believe that Boston gets breaks that other teams don't. Yeah. But I'm still going to back St. Louis in that. I'm going to say um, partially, and it, this doesn't really play into the power play or penalty kill, but St. Louis can play a big mean game too. Yeah. And Boston hasn't come up against that in the playoffs yet. No, they haven't. And, uh, you know, the St. Louis Blues, I mean, for me, they have two very uh, high-level players that bring a lot of intangibles to the table. And I, and I have to say they're both the former OHL players as well. Um, you look at Ryan O'Reilly. I mean, there's nobody that outworks or outplays Ryan O'Reilly. Uh, his work ethic is just off the charts. And, and he's a guy that, you know, he's got 14 points in the playoffs. But he's, played on he's playing a 200-foot game. He's playing on both sides of the puck. And, you know, 
on, on the... Uh, he plays a physical game. He does. He, he He's can hit. He's using his speed extremely well. He physical. is. Yeah. And you know what? You were talking about the vaunted uh, Boston power play. There's an example there where St. Louis can show that discipline also because he's a guy, he's a former, last year was a Lady Bing Trophy winner. In 81 games, 81, 82 games, he had, what, four penalty minutes? So he can play a physical game without going to the box, which might just be the ticket for uh, frustrating the Boston Bruins. And the other, uh, the other player I was going to mention on the St. Louis side of the ledger is Alex Petrangelo. You know, he plays a heavy game. He's six foot five. You know, big, strong guy. Uh, he's very mobile. Can skate. He can create plays. You know, he has 13 points in the playoffs from the back end, and certainly is is one of the straws that stirs a drink on their power play. But you know what? This guy plays a real physical game and you know when you get into the corner with him he's going to make you pay the price for every inch of ice time and so you know Jamie you made a good point that they really haven't seen that type of team yet the Boston Bruins and so maybe you know with those couple of guys and some other sort of gritty guys like the David Perrons and those kind of guys the the worker bees of the world and that St. Louis team you know I certainly wouldn't rule out uh, the St. Louis Blues winning their first Stanley Cup in this series I think Boston's probably the favorites I think most people probably feel Boston's going to win this series but St. Louis for me has some very interesting intangibles and I would say the X factor for St. Louis we tend to always look at the forwards and the goalies, but really winning teams, they almost always have that, that defense that really transitions the puck well, gains possession transitions. And Absolutely. you mentioned Peter Angelo. Colton Pareko is another one. Pareko is right on the tip of my tongue. Uh, Edmondson and Bertuzzo. Yeah. Yeah. Bo Meester. Bo Meester. Well, Bo Meester's there. Yeah, he's still there. He's very experienced. And, uh, you know, I think that's a bit of an X factor. They haven't been flashy. They haven't been the stars. And, like, say, look, with Eric Carlson as a comparison, that guy gets a lot of limelight, but he was a defensive liability a lot. Like, he got yeah. his share of points, but I don't know what his plus-minus was. He was a defensive liability quite a bit. Burns was He a clearly wasn't right, though, in fairness to Eric Carlson. I don't think he was right at all. You don't think all. he's back 100%? No, yet? I, I think, yeah. you know, that groin really bothered him. You could tell he was laboring with his, you know, trying to get up to the high-level skater that he is. He just, mm-hmm. he wasn't able to reach that sort of pantheon that he can get to um, as being an elite skater. He, he was a good skater, but he wasn't an elite skater. But on the power play, I mean, he has wicked hands. I mean, you know, when you, when you can throw the puck around to the guys he was throwing it around to and do it uh, so deftly as Eric Carlson does, that's why he put up the points but I don't think he was he was playing at 70 percent let's yeah. be honest about that but uh certainly I was going to say like to wrap that up is the 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 Blues I think their defense is very underrated in their right. ability to transition that puck up so a lot of people are saying that you know they're noting the fact that this is a rematch of 1970 right and of course Boston victorious in the 1970 Stanley Cup final but uh, the thing that I want to bring up, again, as a biased Leaf fan, is that the St. Louis Blues fans have been waiting as long as Leaf fans have for Stanley Cup. Right. Because they were ex- an expansion team in 1967, went to the Stanley Cup final, much like the Vegas Golden Knights in their first year. Right. Um, that was a default. Of course, an expansion team had to make the final. Yeah. But uh, that's where I think some of us Leaf fans are backing the Blues, not just because they're playing the Bruins, but because they've had years of pain as well. So when we when we go over to the Bruins side of the ledger, we know we know the guys that they have that uh, that stir the drink. Certainly, Marshand is 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 a guy that gets under your skin, but also delivers at a point of game pace, and you can't argue with, with that. David Krejci is great. Bergeron, you know, res- responsible, reliable, gets gets a lot of points. 
But for me, maybe the, the most underrated player in the National Hockey League is David Pasternak, a guy who, you know, has consistently, you know, been a 90-point um, pace player for them. He's only, what, 23, 24 years old. I mean, the, the fact that, uh, you know, I think he was, a, he was a late first-round pick. He basically walked into the National Hockey League with Boston, immediately was a great player for them. Um, you know, I, I really wonder what he's going to be like when he's 25, 26, you know, two or three more years. This guy could be, you know, a dominant force if he isn't already, which I think he's kind of got his way there. But, I mean, he's going to be in the same breath, perhaps, as, you know, some of the Sidney Crosby's and, and, and Connor McDavid's are certainly just in that sort of frame of mind with, uh, with what he's been capable of so far and, and maybe just how high he can go here because, you know, 100 points looks well within his range. If you roll back that timeline too, uh, maybe not as dynamic point-wise, but as making a solid contribution would be Jake DeBrusque. Very much so. Stepped right into that lineup and has been a very uh, important piece for that team. And you know, another guy, I mean, from the back end for Boston, a guy that, uh, you know, he's always been acknowledged as a great point getter from the back end, but you know, he doesn't get the credit for his defensive play is Tory Krug. I mean, he really has clamped down defensively. You know, he has tremendous gap control and he has an extremely active stick that uh, that can stymie opponents quite well. And, you know, he doesn't really get the, the sort of the the, uh, the the praise for that part of his game, I don't think. You know, people look at him as a 40 to 50 point defenseman. And I mean, we get guilty of that with hockey pools and si such things that, you know, we, we fo tend to focus on the point angle of it. But I think Tory Krug, you know, is a much more uh, well-rounded defenseman than maybe he gets credit for. The other guy I want to throw out there as being underrated, and I think he has been his whole career, is Yaroslav Halak. Right. And I know that we're not really looking at Yaroslav Halak all that much because of the run Tuka Rask has been on, but this is a guy who's been good for a lot of years in, in professional hockey. And, I mean, he, he was moved out of Montreal because of Carey Price. You can't fault him for that. No. And he bounced around a little bit. He played in St. Louis. He played in... Um, well, he never played in Buffalo. He dressed and sat on the bench for one game, but right. uh, went to uh, Washington, um, ended up in the Islanders, and the Islanders were kind of hockey purgatory for a while. Right. Um, he struggled a bit there, and then when he hooked on with Boston, he, I think he's finally getting his due. He's an above-average backup goaltender, and if I was Don Sweeney or Bruce Cassidy, I'm not all that concerned if Tuka Rask falters a little bit because I feel like I've got a 1A rather than a backup to turn to. And if Boston does win the Stanley Cup, and I hope they don't, but if they do, he's one guy I wouldn't be sad to see his name get etched on hockey's greatest trophy. And you know what? There's no question he delivered you know high-level goaltending for this team this year. Um, but he also enabled Tuka Rask to play a lot less, which has made him so much fresher for the playoffs and hence why he's leading the, the NHL playoffs in stats. So I think it's a double benefit that they've had with, with him. Um, final thought to Andy. Um, I mean, with the coaching matchup there, Bruce Cassidy versus Craig Berube, what do you see with, with those two guys as the coaching matchup? Uh, well, Cassidy's had runs into the playoffs before. Uh, Berube, I don't think so with the Flyers. He didn't make any uh, deep runs. So uh, I'd have to give that, you know, whatever advantage to experience would go there. But Berube played in the NHL a long time, so I think it's kind of a wash. I think they're pretty even that way. For me to try and hand, handicap this, I'm kind of thinking that I think St. Louis had maybe a tougher path going through the West, going through you know, Winnipeg, Dallas, and then going through San Jose. Uh, maybe Boston's path wasn't easy, 
but maybe some of those matchups with the wild cards and well, the Leafs gave them a decent run, but then you know Carolina and then uh, well Columbus gave them a decent run too. But I, I think maybe uh, St. Louis had a tougher path, so I think I'm going to give that the edge. I'm going to say St. Louis in six. I'm going to say Boston in six, but I really want St. Louis in six. I'm cheering for St. Louis, but I think Boston in six. Jamie, what are you thinking? I, I really, you know, I can't even say that I'm going to think Boston's going to win. So I, <laughs> I'm going against my gut, and I'm going to say St. Louis is going to win, and I'm going to stick with what you guys, specifically Andy, said. I think I say St. Louis and six. There you go. We'll have to wait and see how it all unfolds. That's another edition of Hockey Talk, and we will see you next week right here on Hockey Talk.